0: Hi, and a really warm welcome to today's podcast, which is another episode in the Adaptive Work Skills series. I'm Chris Watson from Endor Learn and Develop, and we're a specialist provider of behaviourally based learning services. Our aim is to deliver practical ideas to extend the performance of people. We're going to start with this subject of resilience. Uh, and linked to that as well, stress. This is about managing physical and mental energy to maintain that firmness of purpose. Um, And it's also related to an ability to think clearly under duress. Stress gets, understandably, quite a a bad press a lot of the time. Typical stress response, when you perceive threats, the nervous system kicks in, releasing uh, cortisol, stress hormones, and they, they fire up your body ready for fight or flight responses. You know, your heart beats faster. Blood gets sent to the muscles. So that just makes you stiff and less relaxed. Your chest muscles as well will tighten and that makes it harder for you to breathe. So you can't do any of that deep breathing that we talked about that will help things like heart rate variability and make you feel more relaxed. So your heart's pounding faster, muscles are tightening. The breath, when you need more breath, you're less likely to get those deeper inhalations. So all of that is kind of compromising your ability physiologically to deal with whatever is is causing the stress in the first place. So for some of these reasons, stress does get a bad press. But what's your experience of stress? Everybody's levels of stress management are different. So what you may perceive as not a lot of stress could be a lot to somebody else. And it's sort of how you're able to manage the short bits before it becomes too much for you. And it's sort of knowing your boundary and then how you respond to that as well as recognising your triggers and stuff as well. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why organisationally this is such a, a difficult area to effectively manage for all people at all times, because as you say, Cameron, it's it's a very individualised response. So organisational strategies with the best and the most sincere intentions to help and support and assist people, uh, you know, invariably will be a blanket approach, or maybe a smorgasbord of different offerings. But People will engage and interact with those things in their own unique way. So, there is something here about different levels of pressure. And the problem is establishing when that critical point where it tips into being an unreasonable amount of pressure, because that's when people are going to need support, maybe experience burnouts. Okay. And one thing we do know is that dotted line between well being and burnout differs for all of us. If you did want to, for whatever perverse reason, uh, create a toxic environment though, uh, this is exactly how to do it. Set really unreasonable or high expectations for people, maybe expectations that they don't believe that they can meet. So set really unreasonable expectations and then provide people with a really low sense of control. And that's actually what you need to do. And if, and unfortunately the low sense of control is is kind of prevalent at the moment because of COVID. This can lead obviously to to pressure, but what I'm not suggesting is that uh, pressure has to be a bad thing. Ultimately, the only difference between a pencil lead and the diamonds is pressure. Essentially, they are the same chemical composition. Both carbon changes that carbon into a diamond is intense pressure. So sometimes what I'm going to be suggesting is pressure may be a good thing. And there is evidence to support this. Sometimes obstacles can improve performance. This is by psychologist Daniel Oppenheimer, Oppenheim's work was with children in America doing SATs. And what they did was with the handouts, they provided them in difficult, a smaller font and more difficult to read font for half of the pupils and in an easy to read font and the larger font for the other half. And what they discovered was on recall, and that's quite specific, so this is about remembering things. The children who are provided handouts and reading material that were harder to read performed better, significantly and statistically better than those who had the easy to read and accessible fonts. So you can actually improve someone's retention of any of your key messages as well by making it harder for them interestingly and significantly is not correct for comprehension but if it is to do with recall this is a great way to improve performance. Now we've already touched on this, 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 this sort of moving from well-being to burnout seems to be influenced by a couple of things and these are, are, are quite complex areas. So it's, it's influenced by attitudinal aspects and also personality and certainly when you're working with people or if you don't know them very well understanding attitudinal aspects and understanding their personality is incredibly hard at an organizational level when you're introducing strategies to help performance and well-being particularly at a time like now how on earth do you get that deeply into the psyche of each individual person I'd suggest it's probably impossible to do so so I'm going to provide you with some more hints and tips around this that might help both you and people that you work with it's very very useful to get a decent amount of sleep typically you know many people get seven the average is about seven to eight hours I think this is a very personal experience as well. Some people appear to need less and some people need more. So I'm quite against the idea of being too directive over such a, a personalized area. However, there is evidence that suggests every amount of sleep you get, an hour less than your natural average, you are twice as likely to have an accident during that following day and that's one hour less sleep staggeringly if you get less than five hours sleep a night okay and i know some people can function like that and do but on average given that the average amount of sleep is seven to eight hours for the uk population if you get less than five hours sleep, you are statistically five times more likely to have an accident. And that is the same cognitive effect as being drunk in terms of impact that it has and the likelihood of you having an accident. So I think it definitely begins with looking after yourself and making sure that you take responsibility for getting the right amount of rest. The number one way to reduce stress is to do with moderate exercise. What seems to be the case, a real high intensity, very high training loads or exercise loads aren't necessarily associated with uh, reduced stress and reduced anxiety. So moderate training exercise is better for your resilience levels. If you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling tense, anxious, it would appear to make sense then to vent your frustrations. And here the, the evidence is uh, a little bit mixed. We know that moderate exercise can clear the head and make you feel better, make you feel more in control of your physiology. It will will be good for reducing cortisol in the body. Cortisol, when you get really stressed, can take two minutes to saturate your body and it can take up to two hours for it to be depleted. And what exercise is very good at, is pushing it through your system much quicker than the two hours. So, venting your frustration seems to seems quite plausible. However, well, there's a fantastic piece <laughs> of research which involved an exercise with uh, students at a, a university. And the results were, those who hit the punch bag consistently felt far more aggressive afterwards and later went on to administer longer and louder blasts of noise in the faces of their colleagues than those who were allowed to just sit, reflect, and dwell on the thing that was making them feel really frustrated in the first place. And the results of this have been replicated many times. And the, the significant thing is, It's this mental state of mind that the person was in at the time of the the exercise or the, you know, the punching of the bag. Not the fact that the punching of the bag maybe at times or exercise certainly isn't a bad thing to do. But the evidence says if you're angry, if you're irate, if you're in that kind of mental and physiological state, exercise doesn't bring it down. And in fact, as it's got here, it may even pour fuel on the fire. So bear that in mind as well. What can you do though? All of us do get sometimes into a, a more emotional state, okay, and we recognise that that isn't an ideal way to be. But if punching a punch bag isn't successful, what can you do? There is a method called the five, four, three, two, one method. And it is supposed to help you get more in touch with the here and now. Um, It's a little bit more towards the sort of meditative, but what the advice is, if you see yourself or recognise that you are in an agitated state or you're frustrated with something or someone, and you want to feel more grounded, then take yourself off to some sort of quiet space A few deep breaths just to start to regain control of your physiology. Think of five things before you do, five things that you can actually see in your immediate work environment. So, deliberately look around you at five separate things. And what this is doing, this practice, is taking you out of your own headspace. And it does work. So, five things you can see. Then you move on to four things that you can touch. So four things in your immediate space that you can touch. Three things that you can hear. And I think closing your eyes for this part really does provide that focus. And there might be cars going by, but just really actively listening. Then you get even more into your own sensory experience And you deliberately think of two things that you can smell. And then finally, one thing that's going on in your mouth that you can actually taste. If you do this in a step-by-step way, by the end of the one thing that you can taste, you will feel more resourceful and you will have taken yourself out of that mental rumination and going over and and that's getting trapped in that is what leads to many forms of frustration really this one has been uh, in uh, the news it's uh, been widely reported but cold water swimming or taking a cold shower actually has real long term benefits in terms of building personal resilience Anyone heard anything about uh, cold water swimming or taking a cold shower? Uh, With the cold showers, it's a small controllable task that you really do have a lot of control over. So going back to the high expectations, low control, you can start with five seconds, 10 seconds and build up your resilience at your own pace because you decide when you want to do it. And it's up to how much you believe you can withstand for that day, time or whatever. Definitely, yeah. There's even been identified something called a cold water protein. People who go cold water swimming or do cold showers in the way that Cameron's described have a protein in their bloodstream and that protein can defer the onsets of dementia as well. The easiest way though is to do it incrementally to turn the shower cold for the last 30 seconds, and there's evidence that even doing that will help you. So a short stress a day could well help to build up your personal resilience levels. However, if you can't face taking a cold shower each morning, why not try frightening yourself with a really scary movie or try public speaking? There's evidence from Dr Glenn Davidson at the University of Kent that both of these activities will have a similar effect as to cold showers and cold water swimming. So overall, it seems that stress isn't the enemy. It's just more about the management of these experiences. And I'd say the underlying thing is to try to retain some sense of control over what's happening to you. Because if you can, it can bring about some really positive effects. Another area which is more to do with social resilience is about the restorative power of family and friends. And I would say this is one of the biggest threats at the moment in terms of social isolation, in terms of lockdown for people, because actually some of the benefits of this restorative power are being compromised, undermined, or, you know, are entirely absent for a number of people. Evidence that friendship can ward off germs. So just as enduring stress and stress that you believe is bad for you can trigger ill health, friendship can have a, this positive effect. The studies show that if you've got five or more friends with whom you're able to discuss an important matter, you're more likely to describe yourself as happy. And studies have shown if you're exercising, commuting, doing homework, anything is more enjoyable for people if they're in company. And that's irrespective of whether or not you, you know, define yourself as an introvert or extrovert. And here's something really important, back to the Kelly McGonagall research, those with good social supports, are less likely to see stressors as threats. They're more likely to see stressors as challenges. So you can start to influence some of that attitudinal aspect by having a good social network. Now, the problem is, as I say, at the moment, opportunities are being compromised because of COVID and and, and lockdown. And the other thing to bear in mind is, what is very common, is that people who, for whatever reason, uh, aren't feeling the most robust or the most resilient and are feeling a bit low, tend to reach out to people less as well. And that can lead to a downward spiral. Can you actually influence this though? Are there things that you can do to strengthen trust in others and also trust in yourself? Well, I I think there are. Shaking someone's hand for more than six seconds, and that's quite specific, has been seen to release the same hormones as giving someone that you know really well a big hug. And what it is, It's what's called the the cuddle hormone, oxytocin. And oxytocin is released with people by shaking their head for more than six seconds. And it's the same amount as giving someone that big hug. And that is staggering. But that's, that's quite, if you actually practice it with a colleague or a loved one, it is a little bit of time. So you have to you have to commit yourself to it and it will surprise the other person. And you've got to stay there and then mentally count, you know, six to seven seconds. So it's not too uncomfortable, but it was seen to build trust. Oxytocin has been linked with empathy and it's also released. The other time that it's commonly released is at childbirth to actually help build that connectivity between mother and child. Here is the number one way to make yourself feel happier. Male or female, regardless of age, any idea what it is? It's dance lessons. And dance lessons for people at all ages on all all the studies that have been done about what really makes people happy are the things that work and it, it's a big difference between the number one and the number two when you think about it though there are some clear reasons why this is the case first of all you've got the physical exercise through volition and you it's something that's perceived to be enjoyable so you've got physical exercise and you've got physical movement secondly you've got a stretching challenge you're learning something new So it's engaging you and your cognitive processes. So you've got mind and body congruence. You're developing yourself. And as a result, you're making progress towards a goal. You've seen the dance practiced and then you're actually getting better at it. So you're making positive steps towards something and that's motivational. But then thirdly, You've also got a social dimension because you're mixing with other people you're seeing and you're interacting and you're talking with them. And so all of these three areas are coming together to to provide you with a very positive, rich experience. So there's there's a number of ideas for you around uh, resilience, around dealing with stress. and and also maybe sometimes questioning conventional wisdom as to whether stress is a bad thing, whether it's the enemy, or whether sometimes obstacles actually may be a positive force if they're managed effectively. We've covered 15 themes. Uh, My most recent book, which is called Upskill, has got 825 more practical ideas to extend capability and performance in the workplace. It's based on a 10-year funded study where we were given some money to find out what is it that organisations value today, and that these are the 21 skills. And so what it does, it delivers a dynamic snapshot of different strategies, tools, techniques and ideas that people can introduce for themselves with no budget whatsoever that will make a, a demonstrable difference to them back in the workplace. The reason I'm shoehorning this book, which I will say uh, was number one in Amazon business reference book is not because of that fact, but because Within it, there are chapters on resilience and emotional control, change management, intuitive thinking, and how you build up intuitive thinking, and also results focus. Okay, and this brings us to the end of this short podcast. Many thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll be able to tune in again soon.